Hello, Serie A fans, and welcome to another episode of the Total Football Analysis Serie A podcast. My name is Daniele Proc, and I'm joined by football analyst Steve Coleman. How are you, Steve? Good morning. I'm very well, thank you. As well as uh, EPL host uh, Chris Manford. How are you, Chris? Favoloso. Thanks for asking. Glad to be here with the guys. I appreciate that. Uh, our Serie A squad is a little lighter today uh, because we're suffering from the absence of Alex Comzia. Hopefully he's not injured. But we'll do our best to recap and uh, analyze what happened over the last week when another 100 games in Serie A were played. The last match of round 34 just finished and it might have put an end to the title race. We are talking about Juventus-Lazio. The match just finished 2-1 to one for the Bianconeri. Um, two goals from Ronaldo, one goal from Immobile. Uh, Juventus lined up with a classic 4-3-3, uh, Lazio with a 3-5-2. Higuain uh, curiously had to sit out because he got injured in the warm-up and uh, Lazio could not count on uh, their uh, best assist man, Luis Alberto. Uh, Steve, do you have anything to say about this game? I know we're talking off the air that it wasn't the best game in terms of quality and uh, uh, you know action. What do you have to say about it? Yeah, I yeah, I agree. It's, it wasn't a great game uh for the for the spectacle that we were hoping it was going to be as we talked last week, but Lazio looked really tired. You know, there's a story before the game, they've been ravaged by injuries. Uh they only had six six uh subs on the bench, three of which didn't have any Serie A experience. Uh so he's obviously delving deep into his into his squad or what's left of his squad, but um interestingly Parolo, uh, Lazari and Acherbi have all played 640 minutes or more so far in the league, um, which, you know, in the seven-game swing that they've had since they've come back is a is a massive amount of numbers compared to the other teams that have been able to rest and rotate people. So that's beginning to take its toll now. It was the last couple of games as well, but this one especially, it took its toll towards towards the middle of the second half. But somehow they found a little bit of a second wind and, uh, you know, nicked a penalty towards the end to, to make it a little bit closer. But, yeah, I thought it was a, a poor game. Juve lacking punch in the final third like they have been. Uh, once again, it's all very much in front of the opposition and Lazio's deeper block. They're able to absorb a lot of a lot of the good stuff that Juventus tried. Um, Juventus occupied a lot of space as opposed to pressing high at the pitch, but they did make life difficult for Lazio to build because they get their win backs higher, so they couldn't. They found it difficult to connect with those guys, and that created a bit of a, a stagnated and slow slow game, uh, which probably played into Lazio's hands more than Juventus's. Um, yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't a game that I was I was glued to the screen to watch. To be honest, Chris, how about you? I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, uh, the games that are decided or that have more more than two or two penalty kicks in it, that's not fun to me. And quite candidly, once that first PK happened, which again, I think the handball rule needs to be changed to save the game. <laughs> Right. Um, and that second goal, you could tell Lazio was just reeling and they lapsed. And, you know, of course, you don't lose the ball in your own midfielder and hand it off to Ronaldo and, and, and Dybala. Right. And they mm. just they, they dribble it in like a training drill. I mean, it's it's that is the extent uh, there were some opportunities. There were some shots off some some um, uh, posts uh, and some really uh what it big what if situations i will say that uh that the save uh on that um set piece 
by the keeper uh, who anticipated it well, really made a, a huge difference. And um, I wanted to believe that this game was going to have so many fireworks. And like a lot of when top teams play against each other, it ended up being really anticlimactic. I will say that the fact that Juventus has got a payroll that it does, you know, roughly about 300 million euros, and Lazio has about 72 million euros, I think you kind of start seeing what a deep bench can really do for you, um, amongst other things. Daniele, what are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, as it has happened for the last eight years, Juventus got the job done, and uh, they're very close to securing their ninth Scudetto in a row. They're only four points away uh, with four games remaining. I wanted to bring up uh, the two goal scorers today, Ronaldo, who scored a brace, and Immobile, who scored uh, Lazio's long goal. So Ronaldo and Immobile have become the third and fourth players since 1959 to reach 30 goals in Serie A. So they have joined the short list of, and here I'm asking you guys, who are the other two players that have reached 30 goals in Serie A since 1959? Great question. Um, well, one's Higuain. Correct. 2016, I think that was. And then the other one, the other one must be Luca Toni. You are correct, my friend. The first yeah. one, yes, it's Higuain, the season 2015-2016. Yeah. Higuain, he, he is now a Juventus player, but uh, he achieved that record under Maurizio Sarri, who is also his current manager. So there may be something to be said about Sarri really um, taking the best out of his goal scorers. And yes, the other one is Luca Toni, 2005-2006 seasons, season with uh, Fiorentina. Fiorentina, yeah. As uh, Ronaldo is also the only player to have scored 30 goals in Serie A, La Liga, and EPL. Wow. Um, you know, Ronaldo and Immobile, they're also kind of uh, tied together by this, this incredible stats about the PKs. Steve, you were mentioning how combined they have something like 23 goals on PKs. Yeah, it's 23 or 24 penalties between them. Yeah, I think they've missed one between them and they so far. Yeah, and uh, they're also the two forwards who take the most shots in the league. Ronaldo fires 5.45 times per game and Immobile 3.73. Um, Chris, would you rather take a shot from, uh, from Cristiano or from Thierry Immobile? We're talking about how Immobile had a great shot in the first half from about 20, 25 meters out and he hit the, the woodwork. Honestly, I think uh, on that, Matt, if, if I were stuck with that, I'd rather just go get a glass of, uh, of Gatorade and, and have the second string keeper come in because <laughs> I, think, I think my confidence would be shot. They're, they're both outstanding um, at, w at what they do. Um, I hope we, we keep uh, both of them in the league longer. Um, and, you know, Ronaldo, Immobile, you kind of hope that he would last longer than Ronaldo, you, you would think. But with the way Ronaldo is and the way he takes care of himself, you just don't know who's going to be in the league longer, right? Yeah, he has completely changed the rules about uh, how long can uh, a footballer's body play top-tier football. Um, you know, Lazio, uh, we were talking about uh, Felipe Caicedo and Chiro Immobile, two Lazio strikers. They really try to create chances for their, uh, for their side. Steve, how much was Lazio missing uh, Luis Alberto today when it came to, you know, being sharp in the final third? Yeah, I think I think he's he's obviously the heartbeat of the team as we've spoken about before, and 
if you are going to play the way Lazio try and play with their win backs joining into the top line and, and allowing Immobile or Casado off off the line to link the game together, then you need somebody to to get on the ball and and, and find those passes centrally. And today they didn't they didn't have that person. You know, Milinkovic Savic tried tried his best to to dictate the game, but yeah, it's it's difficult when you don't have the man that the game's built around in your system in, in your side. Um, so yeah, I think the only the only way that they they got around that is they were able to play a little bit wider from a more progressed position, middle of the pitch, and then they're able to switch to the opposite side and 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 cause a few problems for for the Juventus fullbacks, especially as always down Ronaldo's side where he, where he does his his own little part of defending, but it's not it's not the the most defending. So I think they were able to get opportunities where. They got Douglas Costa, for example, defending. He needed to help Quadrado against Anderson. I thought had a good game in his first Serie A start, um, certainly up until half time. And then they're able to get the ball from there to the opposite side through through Savic or Parolo, and then and then hurt them potentially on, on the opposite side. But I think for Juventus, it, it causes them a problem where they almost um, concede Douglas Costa's attacking ability sometimes because he has to do more defensively than Dybala and, and Ronaldo and I think it gives them a, a lack of pace at the top sometimes when Costa's attacking from a more deep position having having been in the defensive line to help so that's a, an issue for Juventus that they're, they're going to have to fix long term I think Yeah, Sarri toward the beginning of the season said that we uh, had only seen 50% of what Douglas Costa can provide to the team but as you're saying um, it really looks like he's uh, attacking duties are limited to the fact that Dybala and Ronaldo, they like to stay central, they like to combine together. Douglas Costa has to pick up defensive duties, like you were saying, he has to help out Cuadrado. Uh, but to Dybala and Ronaldo's credit, uh, today they seem to work pretty well. You know, Dybala assisted Ronaldo on the second goal, uh, obviously also thanks to um, Luis Felipe's mistake, but we also saw Dybala putting some quality crosses on Ronaldo's head. Um, for next game, how do you see things developing? Do you see uh, Iguain stepping back in? Do you see uh, Sari again employing Douglas Costa? Do you think that his performance was good enough for him to start again? They play Udinese on Friday, don't they, in the next game? So um, it's a pretty short turnaround for them. Um, that's Friday my time. Um, just looking <laughs> at the schedule now. But um, yeah, it's a short turnaround. Iguain obviously limping out in the warm-up's not, not great for them. But um, I... You're not going to change, I don't think. Uh, I think they, they only need how many points? Do they need now one, maybe two. I think, isn't it to to get over the line? So it's pretty much done and dusted. But Higuain's a real help for them um, in terms of being a focal point. But they do lose uh, the connectivity in in that three. I think they probably have to go to a front two with him, uh, with him and Ronaldo and Dybala in behind, which Sarri doesn't want to do a hell of a lot at the moment. Uh, so he has to change things a little bit um, system-wise to, to accommodate Higuain, um, which is why he's, I think he's favoured Costa a little bit more to give him that that support down the right-hand side. So, yeah, he, he could come back in, but I don't think you can change those two. I think it'll have to be Costa that, that gives way. Yeah, and we'll see uh, what Sarri decides, given that also Federico Bernardeschi will be back from uh, his suspension for, uh, mm. for next game. Let's, uh, let's move on to another game from this past weekend. Roma and Inter tied 2-2. Um, the goal scorers were De Frey. Uh, he opened up the the score uh, the score line with a header. He also equalized the <laughs> the score for Roma on uh, uh, Leonardo Spinazzola's shot. 
Henrik Mikitarian put Roma ahead 2 to 1 and then Romelu Lukaku was able to uh, equalize uh, in the 88th minute with a PK. It was really a draw that didn't help either team because Roma now have Napoli and, and Milan closer and Inter are further away from Juventus. Is there anything else that we are taking away from this game, Steve? No, not really. I think it is a game where, where two teams are, are fairly comfortable in, in where they are um, into a pretty set for Champions League spot and Roma, as we've spoken about before, uh, a pretty set for Europa League, depending on obviously where, where they finish is, is the only thing. So, you know, 2-2, two, two, but the XG is fairly even. 127 for Roma, 141 for, um, for, for Inter. Um, it's a dumb penalty to give away in the final couple of minutes of the game. Oh. You know, um, the, the ball's the ball's just got to disappear somewhere further away from the penalty area. Falls over the ball and then and then fouls Moses trying to recover, which is you know not great. And Lukaku will always score from from those situations. Uh, so yeah, not not a lot to take away from this one. Uh, winding down towards the end of the season with two teams who are, are quite comfy without the ability to to push further on. You know, we we're talking uh, off the air how they attributed the Roma's first goal to an own goal by the Fry. As mm. a striker myself, I hate seeing that because I want the credit for the shot. I would argue that the Fry committed the own goal because he was trying to save Spinazzola's shot. I know, Chris, you don't agree with me. Um, because I know that no, I, you know, I, I think it's a classic. Uh, sometimes no good deed goes unpunished. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> you know, he clearly was giving all of his heart and soul to prevent that. And uh, sometimes karma has a way of uh, of playing funny tricks on you, and that's one of those instances. And and uh, you know, I, I imagine his teammates are giving him a giving him a joke about how he scored a brace uh, that that game. So probably the only brace he may ever score. Uh, hopefully that's the only style of race he ever scores that again. Um, let's see if he's going to have to bring donuts to the locker room since it's probably his first brace in the, in the league. Uh, <laughs> another very important game this past weekend was Genoa against Lecce. Uh, Genoa won the game 2-1. to one. They're currently just above relegation, uh, four points ahead of Lecce. Uh, well, everything happened in this game. We have uh, Marco Mancoso missing a PK, then scoring on a goal that we're going to analyze more closely. Um, we have Antonio Sanabria opening up the the score sheet with uh, for for Genoa with a 1-0 goal, and then Steve, <laughs> let's talk about uh, Marco Mancoso scoring that goal on something <laughs> that was meant to be a cross. We have Cristian Romero ducking. How did that? How did that play uh, out? <laughs> uh, this this game had absolutely everything that you'd want from a relegation battle. Uh, the proper nail biter. Uh, two teams lost touch with the teams above them. Someone's got to take it. Someone's got to take the initiative. No one wants to. Uh, full of mistakes. Full of missed opportunities. Um, yeah, the the second goal. Oh, sorry, the the second goal in the game. But Lecce's equaliser is a is a cross from the right the right hand side sorry left hand side of, of the of the pitch and the uh, Romero the centre half ducks under the ball uh, should head it clear it's almost like a dummy header which falls his own goalkeeper into believing he's going to clear it and it and it drops into the into the far post and in off the post and and uh, the goalkeeper as you can imagine is less than impressed by his by his big centre back not not heading the ball clear it's a shame 
Alex is not here this week. I was I was hoping to talk to him about about the defensive and, dummy uh, headers, which I've never seen before. Steve, that's something that you know a defender ducky like that. It's something that you see when the keeper is about to come out for the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, calling out keeper, and so the defender yeah. ducks to leave the ball to the keeper. But Chris, I would like to hear your your thoughts about it. There's no way that Perrin could have called that ball. He was just you know. On the almost on the goal line, waiting to see where the cross would go. So, what what do you think that Christian Romero think thought about in on that occasion? That was a head scratcher. I had to watch that uh, several times because it was absolutely bewildering. Uh, you know, the, I, I think the person that was surprised the most was the keeper, right? So, you know, most keepers at that level get if. You may, if you call for the ball, you want the fan one block away from the stadium to hear you calling for it, and uh, there there wasn't anything like that uh, going on. Especially without fans, like you could have yeah. probably you can yeah. hear even better, you know. I, I don't have been any misunderstandings there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I. I If it were back in my my day, I, I would have gone up and I would have, I would have chewed him out and grabbed the ball and and stuck it in his chest and and made him carry it to to back to the midfield because that is unacceptable. Yeah, we saw Perrin yes. raising his his hand uh, as if to say, "What the hell are you doing, my friend?" Yeah, it was cost yeah. us a goal. Uh, lucky for Genoa, they were able to um, to score the two to one. Uh, from a shot from uh, 25 meter out, uh, kind of lucky goal. The strike hit the post and then hit uh, Lecce's keeper Gabriel on his back and then went in. Uh, is this a sign? Is this a sign from the sky that Lecce is destined to go down? Uh, 100%. I think these things only happen to the teams that are in, in trouble. Um, you know, it's, it's nice, nice play from, from Genoa. Good combination play down their left hand side, cuts inside. It's a, it's a good hit from from distance, r- going across the goal, uh, off the post, and of any place it could go. It wasn't the back of the goalkeeper's head that was was necessary for for Lecce. But um, yeah, I think if you're in those positions down the bottom and and things that you're not getting the rub of the green, like like potentially teams around them, you know, you miss a penalty. I think the ball's still coming down from from the penalty. It's so far over the bar and. Um, yeah, it was one of those games that they could have done done without uh, having having the luck on the opposite side. But I actually thought they they did a good job, uh, Lecce, in terms of nullifying some threats that Genoa had. Obviously, Pandev is a is a big threat. Genoa have changed from a from a back three into more of a four three three, but it's a little bit different. More of a kind of as you said, Danny, like a Christmas tree with Pandev working inside and in and in little pockets of inside space. So their midfield diamond Lecce was able to nullify a lot of that stuff for, for long periods. Um, and as you as you say, the goals that that conceded one is a a mistake which leads to a fast break counter. That's a good finish from Sanabria, and then and then the goal at the end. But other than that, they didn't give up too many chances. You know, they they defend deep and they and they they try their best. They they do concede the most shots from the shortest distance, as we've spoken before, but. My concern for them is they don't have a guy to put the ball in the back of the net like the other teams around them. Um, and I think I think it's pretty much game over now. It's, what, four games to go? Four games or three games? Um, yeah. Can't keep up. But yeah, four to go, 12 points available. They've got seven points to overturn if they want to catch Udinese, four if they want to catch Lecce, um, Genoa. But 
to do that, they've got to score goals. And at the moment, I think we we spoke earlier, they conceded 76 goals now. Is that right? They have, um, they have the worst defense. Yeah, they have conceded yeah. 76 goals. Yeah, minus 34. Ironically, they conceded the most goals, but their goal difference is, is better than the two teams below them. Um, but miles away from the two teams above them. And at this stage, that goal difference is an extra point against them. Um, and that's, that's a real issue for them. Yeah, and if there is a team that is not struggling with scoring, that is uh, AC Milan. Lately, they've scored eight goals in the past two matches and seven different players put their name on the score sheet. Uh, we have seen defenders, midfielders, wingers and strikers score for AC Milan. They also, it's almost uh, astonishing to see how easy AC Milan now get to the, um, uh, to the opponent's goal. They have... Uh, at, they have Registered 42 shots in the last two matches. Uh, they're very dynamic. There's a lot of energy on and off the ball. Um, I've also heard and read how these late performances by AC Milan are the best in years from the Rossoneri. Steve, what are we seeing differently from, uh, from AC Milan? Uh, I think, obviously, we spoke last week about the, the Ibra effect. You made, you made some comments around the points tally with him in the side as opposed to him not in the team. I think there's there's a lot to be said for for that side of things. Uh, in the first instance, you know his leadership at the in the top line, his ability to to bring players into the game around him as a focal point is, is a big difference. Uh, but I think you're also beginning to see Pioli's kind of philosophy and and the way he wants to play beginning to to make make itself more known now. You know you've you've got their ability to attack in different ways now with obviously Hernandez down the left, his partnership with Rebic has been a big, a big factor in the way that they've, they've uh, created chances. Hernandez obviously, you know, very progressive left back gets forward really well, creates good opportunities so quick um, and dynamic down that left-hand side. And, and that partnership with Rebic uh, led to the first goal against Bologna at the weekend, for, for example, with the cutback. Um, so you've got the width that they can create on that side. Obviously, on, on the other side with with Conti and and those guys, it gives them the ability to attack on on both wings, which has been really important to them. And I think once you do that, and you create width. You're able to stretch opposition across the pitch, um, and you're able to play through a lot a lot easier in, into spaces, into gaps. And at the moment, um, Kessie uh, at the base of their midfield has the most passes in the league since the restart and the most progressive passes which is, has been a big factor for them progressing the ball forward. And it's no coincidence that because of that, Ibra has received the most progressive passes so far and he's also carried the most progressively um, in the Milan, Milan side so far. So his influence is obviously making a big difference. But um, they, you're right, they have a lot of energy, a lot of, a lot of dynamic runners um, and getting runners beyond the ball and, and pulling defenders in all directions is, has been a big key for them. And all these runs, all these movements, all this, you know, being a very dynamic team is also due to the fact that uh, Milan are one of the youngest side in the league. I know, Chris, you have uh, pointed that out. So can you expand on that? Well, I, I just think if you look at the, the ages of, the, of the, the back line and the midfielders in particular, I mean, I think it's, uh, what is it, 25, 26, 25, the average uh, age of the team is. And you take out that outlier Ibra at 38, which I still find impossible to believe, but um, that number goes down even farther. And um, so I, I guess I'm personally very excited about AC Milan's future, assuming that they 
they stay locked in on one philosophy and maybe try not to rotate the coaching coaches so much and stay with some consistency. You know, I will say that AC Milan, we all know about the financial challenges that they've had, but the truth is they've, they, they've got 125 million euro payroll, which puts it fifth in the, in the league and they're at seventh. So, you know, and, and uh, they're what two points away from moving to fifth place. Uh, one went away. So I think there are a lot of pieces that are kind of in place there. Um, you know, I, I think they're clearly one or two, maybe three big pieces away from, uh, from, well, actually maybe two pieces away and then just an aging of the squad to be com- competitive with uh, Juventus, who's got a, a 300 million, a 300 million euro payroll, which is more than twice. So I like where they are now. You know, I think that as you know, as you know personally, the expectations of AC Milan is is winning the Champions League, and we all have to say we're in 2020. This is the Serie A that's different than your grandparents' Serie A, <laughs> and we have to recognize reality for what it is and take a two or three year time frame as opposed to we have to win next year, right? Oh yeah, my I would say my parents' Serie A was the best when late 90s, early 2000s. A lot of champions, but since we talked about Milan, uh, Milan are going to play Sassuolo and Atalanta in the next two Serie A matches. And these three teams, probably they are the best attacks now in Serie A. Uh, Milan have scored 17 goals in the last five. Sassuolo have scored 22 goals in nine matches since restart. And we know Atalanta, they have scored 94 goals in this Serie A campaign, which has been topped in Europe in uh, one of in Europeans major leagues only by Bayern Munich who scored uh, 100 goals in Bundesliga um, anything else to point out to expect from this two matchups of Solo Milan or uh, Milan Atalanta I'll, I'll definitely be tuning into um, Atalanta Milan there's there's no question of that that's the probably the game of the week now um, are they just Atalanta are just so exciting to watch they've got so many different ways they can break teams down they can run in behind. They can create width and and cross from from deeper positions into Zapata. You know they're so flexible in, in what they do, and they're they're so exciting to watch. Um, so yeah, they've been they've been a real standout. It's just a shame they've had a bit of a slow start, and and um, and it's taken them a little while to kind of really hit their their genuine straps, I guess. But they're sat, you know, third in the league right now, and um, there's no no reason why they won't finish second and. They're not certainly not going to catch Juventus, but they're they're certainly going to going to finish strongly um, as they started since the restart. Yeah, and they could have been second if they had been able to hold on to that one zero lead yeah. at uh, Hellas Verona this past weekend. I mean, credit yeah. to Hellas Verona; they've been a strong side, tough to play against yeah. for the entire season. Uh, but I agree, Atalanta are very exciting to watch. Uh, they also have uh, bigger things in mind. I would say now that they've secured the Champions League spot, they're preparing to. Uh, um, to play against PSG in the quarterfinals of Champions League, uh, which will be playing the second week of August. Uh, let's look at Juventus. So Juventus need four points in the remaining four matches, proven that second place Inter win all their games. So they're going to play at Udinese, then they're going to host Sampdoria, then they're going to play at Cagliari, and then they're going to host Roma. Do you guys see Juventus dropping points anywhere in these games? Um, no, I think they 
they'll have too much for Udinese on Friday, I think. Um, now that they're that much closer, they just need one win, basically, to, to get over the line. And, and you're relying, like you said, on, on Inter picking up maximum points over the last four games. So, yeah, I think by Friday, it, it could be all done. Inter, Inter Fiorentina's a tricky one for Inter. Um, yeah, I, I think it could be done by, by the end of the weekend. I, I have a different view. Um, I think it, I'm going to come up with what's called the Coleman curse. Uh, if <laughs> if, uh, if Steve says that a team's going to win four games in a row, it ain't going to happen just because no. that's what happens with color color analysts and uh, is that that's not going to be the case. I, I am going to be curious about they, they should win. You know, I, you, would, you would hope that Roma would give them a good fight. But I just wonder if just that, champions let up right you know some people say that liverpool has hit their their had their champions let up can they stay focused for four games uh realizing that they're they're jogging in the park right they're 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 on the warm down lap uh, at this point so time will tell uh you know you uh ronaldo is is a an absolute ferrari or lamborghini i wonder if you want to just kind of uh get him done and dusted and, and, and make sure he, he's as happy and can be and, and focused for the Champions League. Well, I'll tell you something. I see Juventus not collecting all three points this Thursday at Udinese because mm-hmm. Udinese right now, the seat has 36 points. I feel like they need another two, three points to save themselves to secure um, a spot in Serie A football next year. So, if that that will be the the match that I see Juventus dropping some points, and then they play against Sampdoria, who uh, are safe. They actually just won this past weekend, and they are comfortably at uh, forty one points now. Cagliari same, and then Roma. But by by when that game comes around, probably the games um, the title race will be over. Uh, but if there is a, a battle that it's probably going to go until the last two match days will be Genoa and uh, Lecce to not relegate. And Genoa have a tough game coming up against Sampdoria, the Derby della Lanterna, as the Italian people call it. Sampdoria are the most in shape team, we can argue. They have four wins in the last five matches. Um, Genoa, like you, like you said, Steve, they seem to have found, to have found a balance with uh, uh, playing with four men in the back. Besides four red cards, what do you expect from <laughs> from this derby, Steve? <laughs> well, I think I think Sam have had a good week, haven't they? They're three from three over the last week. Um, three good good wins that have taken them to to be fair where they should be, as opposed to where they have been. I think we spoke a little while back about they were the most underachieving team in the league. I think we're beginning to see exactly what type of team they are now, um, and Ranieri's influence and, and what he's been able to achieve in in a in the, in the turnaround has been nothing short of fantastic, as you say, with the points they've picked up. So his flexibility and what he's able to achieve with with his side has been great. Um, I think they've got too much for Genoa here. Um, Genoa, Genoa are are safe as far as I'm concerned right now because I can't see Lecce picking up picking up four points to, to go above or they need five really with the goal difference. Um, well, I'll tell you something. Lecce will pick up three points against Brescia this, this Wednesday. Uh, that, yeah, you're assuming that. You, yeah, that's that's fair to assume. But um, but they still need someone to score. So, um, 
so yeah, so so maybe it will change again, but I can't see Udinese being pulled pulled into it. But I think the I think Sampdoria uh, on the counter here, Genoa needing to 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 pick up points coming 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 higher at the pitch and trying to trying to create chances. I think you'll find Sam sit deeper and um, and hit them on the counter like they have done in the last couple of games. And you know, with the with the the aging the aging goal machine at the top still still scoring still creating opportunities, I, I think they'll they'll have I'll have a little bit too much for Genoa. Yeah, we have seen Quadrella scoring again and providing an assist for uh, uh, Bonazzoli. Really, uh, the work of Ranieri has shown uh, they're going to confirm him very likely for next year. Mm. Um, and he can really play a 4-4-2, can he? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, among the upcoming matches, we also have uh, uh, Torino-Verona, which can be relevant because Torino just to make sure that they stay in the league. They may need another one or two points. And besides that, uh, the other matches are um, probably won't have too much to offer. You know, Lazio Cagliari, Lazio have secured a Champions League spot. Cagliari are safe. Uh, this midweek, we have Inter Fiorentina. Uh, yeah, Steve, what are the motivations of Inter? to? Uh, because it's hard to, you know, trail when you are uh, eight points behind you know, you have secured a Champions League spot. Probably they're also preparing for Europa League that's coming up in mm-hmm. August as well. What do you think are their motivations at the moment? Well, one of the big motivations would be trying not to annoy my coach, I think, as, as one of their players. <laughs> um, so of, of all the of all the coaches to annoy in the league, I wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of Conte, that's for sure. Um, and, and because of that, I think a little bit like Gattuso at Napoli, his standards are so high and what he expects in terms of work rate and effort from his, te- from his team, he's not going to let them drop off. Obviously, they a difficult game against Roma this week, you know, as we've spoken about, but he's, he's not going to let them drop their standards. He's still going to try and play the same way. They're going to use Lukaku. You know, Sanchez coming back in and doing pretty well has been, has been a nice bonus for them. Um, but yeah, their their energy and their ability to change change up their 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 side to keep people fresh, you know, especially in the, those wing back positions, is is going to help them moving deeper into August with the with you know everything they've got coming up. So their motivation is to is to make sure they finish finish as high as they can. Second will be a will be a positive season for Conte, and if they go deeper into Europe, then then I think that's that's been a real success considering. Early on, he's complaining about not being able to get players in and 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 what he needs. I think he's I think he's done a good job with with what he's been able to do for sure. Yeah, playing for Conte definitely wears you out as a <laughs> as a footballer. Yeah. Before we wrap wrap up, I would like to go around and uh, each of one each of us um, picks the best goal of this past week. I'm cool. gonna go ahead and start, so you guys have a couple seconds to think about it. To me, it's Alexis Salismacher's first goal in Milan win um, against Bologna 5-1 because that was really a team goal. The ball was served to Rebic on the left, left-hand side. He was able to shield it. He held on to it. He back-heeled it to the, for Teo Hernandez, who made one of the many progressive runs that he makes during the, during the match. Cut back by Teo Hernandez for Ibrahimovic. There, Ibrahimovic awareness was amazing of who is around him, where are the defenders. He dummied it, opened up his legs, let the ball run through, and Salismacher came full speed running, impacted the ball with his left foot, and found the 
the bottom corner. To me, that was this just shows how Milan have started to connect, to combine. Uh, they're all on the same page. They're excited to go forward. So I'm picking that and no bias included in this selection. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, well, to be honest, there was three in the Genoa-Torino game that I liked. Um, I thought Torino's 3-0 three, three win was an extraordinary uh, three goals. But uh, I'll go Bellotti uh, with his with his finish in that one. Uh, his left foot screamer from, from outside the box. I don't think it, it could have gone any more in the top corner. He's now scored in seven straight games, which which is is a really good record and a reason why Torino have kind of bounced themselves up the table. So, yeah, definitely, um, yeah, definitely, Bellotti's. I heard that they're uh, they're fixing the net after, uh, after yeah. the shot. Yeah. He, he ripped it off. <laughs> yeah. uh, by the way, weak foot, and I looked at it multiple times. It's not like the ball was bouncing so that it added to the power. The ball was on the ground. He was able to put so much power behind it. Um, yeah. That was impressive. Chris, what do you yeah. got for um, best goal of this past week? So when I think best goal, uh, my eyelid on my left side starts to flutter. It's a nervous habit I have because uh, best save. <laughs> I, I try to block out the best goals <laughs> and I talk about best saves. Uh, and uh, the one that comes to mind, and I really wish young keepers would watch this, is that Chesney save uh, in in that game i mean that basically locked put put juventus completely on the warm the cool off period for the rest of the the league and getting as as a keeper and as for anybody any player but keepers in particular is to trust your instincts on where you're going to go and not only did he trust his instincts but Physically, it's still very, very, very hard to get up into the upper 90 like, like he did. And uh, I, I, I'm going to give the, uh, the goal parentheses save of the week to, to, to Chesney on that one. Yeah, the free kick was really headed for, a, for top bin. Uh, there's another one I would like to put in the honorable mention is Matteo Politano's first goal for Napoli. And that came in a stoppage time, probably the last minute of stoppage time. He received the ball on the right flank, uh, came in. I, f- I feel like everybody w- was expecting a curler on the far post. And instead, he just fired on the, on the near post. The ball actually hit the post, the internal side of the post, and then went, um, and then went uh, past the goal line for Napoli's 2-1 win over Udinese. Uh, well, that's it for today's Serie show. Thank you, Steve and Chris. appreciate your perspectives. We will be back next Tuesday with another episode of the Total Football Analysis Serie podcast. And who knows, by then, we might have a Serie winner as well as have a clearer picture on who will play Serie B football next season. Ciao.